Hello, everyone. This is Bola from Clever Girl Finance, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. So today's episode is a bonus episode. I recorded it early this morning, and then I took my kids to the zoo, and when I came back, I decided that I was going to share it. So at the time that I recorded this episode this morning, I was undecided about whether I was going to share it or not because it is a very personal episode. Um, I am giving you a glimpse into my life. I'm giving you more detail about my life, I'm talking about things that I have never shared on the podcast, and even things that I haven't shared with my friends. So a lot of stuff I'm talking about, if you're listening to this and you're a friend, you may not know some of this stuff, (laughs) but it is also, you know, just a little bit of insight into who I am and what makes me who I am. Because um, the reason why I decided to do the episode was because I had an article come out yesterday on time.com about me, about Clever Girl Finance. And as usual, when things like that happen, there is resistance around it. And people start to question, well, who are you to do this? And so I wanted to tell people who I am to do this and just talk about the fact that I am who I am based on specific things that have happened to me in my life, specific things that I have been influenced by in my life especially my parents. And I wanted to talk about that. I'm sharing just a glimpse, you know, as you listen to me go over more of my story, um, you'll hear a lot of different things. And each one of those things you'll hear me talk about also have things associated to them, you know, so this is very high level stuff, but it gives you more insight to who I am. So I talk about marrying rich. (laughs) I talk about who I am as a woman, especially a black woman. I talk about my mom. Um, I also talk about why I'm so ambitious and why it is that I push myself so hard to accomplish what I want to accomplish. So this is a very personal episode. I don't know how long I'm going to keep it up. I may keep it up permanently. I may take it down tomorrow. I don't know. But I wanted to share that with you just to tell you guys more of who I am and just what drives me, what my motivators are, why I do this. And just have those of you who are interested in this kind of stuff, learn more about Bola. This is not necessarily a financial tips or let's talk about money 101 kind of episode investing. This is not that. This is more of a personal get to know me, get to know my background, get to know where I come from, get to know why I'm who I am and why I do what I do. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening. And yeah, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. By the way, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. And be sure to head over to the website at clevergirlfinance.com and subscribe there if you haven't already. So enjoy listening to this episode, guys, and thank you. Hey, everyone, this is Bola here. So it's one of those super early mornings in my house. I'm talking a little bit quietly um, as I record this, but when I edit it, I'm going to adjust the volume. But I wanted to just come on here and talk a little bit about some thoughts I had going on in my head. And this is a really good time because my people, my kids, my husband, everyone is still sleeping. And so I thought I'll record a podcast really quickly and just share some thoughts in my head. So a really cool thing happened yesterday and I got featured in um, time.com's money section on their website. And the article was about the saving story that I share all the time about how I saved $100,000. But it was also about Clever Girl Finance and why I started Clever Girl Finance and, you know, who um, I'm trying to reach and how I started this business, which I was really glad that the writer of the article showcased because when she was interviewing me for the article, after I had kind of signed a documentation saying 
I'm selling my soul. <laughs> I didn't really know um, how the article would translate. And um, I'm really glad that she talked about Clever Girl Finance and she talked about the mission and what I'm trying to do with it. And so as Clever Girl Finance grows, you know, I get more opportunities to do things like this where I get featured and I get um, more traffic and more press and that comes with a lot of positive feedback and it also comes with um, a little bit of negative feedback each time I do this and <laughs> in the or each time it happens and in the article um, the writer talked about two things that drove those negative comments and I'll talk about them I just wanted to you know kind of talk through those things um, with you guys um, because sometimes people's limitations their mental limitations block them from gaining perspective on things that are being presented for them presented to them that can help them actually find opportunities to accomplish something big and more importantly um, I wanted to share some of my backstory, like the bigger picture of my backstory. Um, for those of you who are interested in getting to know what my real, real motivations are, and I've kind of talked about it, but I've only ever talked about it from a surface perspective. So I'm hoping that I will post this podcast for you guys to listen to. Um, it depends on how much I end up blurting out. <laughs> But, you know, I just feel compelled this 6 a.m. on a Friday to talk about this with you guys. So, like I said, it was a great article. I am so, so grateful for the opportunity to appear on the Time.com website in their money feature. And the article actually got syndicated by Yahoo and MSN. And even friends I hadn't got, gotten an opportunity to tell about the feature were contacting me, um, <laughs> saying they saw me. My second mom, who lives in Austria, where I was born, sent me a message saying, oh my God. <laughs> so it was just a really exciting day. I got a ton of messages. Thank you guys for everyone who reached out to me and for everyone who wishes me well. So the article was, like I said, about me saving $100,000, but more importantly, it was about Clever Girl Finance and starting this business and why I started this business to help women take charge of their finances and stop feeling shame or judgment about where they are or where they're not and just basically do better so that they can get to the point where they're living life on their own terms. And that is, you know, I'm so glad that was mentioned in the article. So a couple points that the, the author um, of the article, the writer had made that just really drove my haters crazy. <laughs> was number one, she talked about my husband's occupation, which I'll talk about. And number two, she talked about the fact that I have no student loans. So, and the comments that those two things drove were number one, um, that I married Rich because my husband is a doctor. So I do not talk about his occupation on the podcast, but you guys who listen to the podcast have heard me talk about him on occasion. I, I sometimes talk about how we budget. I talk about our finances and things like that. However, my husband is a very private person. I don't like to talk about him and what he does or, you know, delve into his life. Um, with my business out of respect for him. He's not particular about that. And it's just part of, you know, me and my introverted private um, 
way. And this is Clever Girl Finance. It's about women. You know, I talk about him when it's applicable. Sometimes I even joke about him on the podcast. I talk, I've talked about him on the blog. You know, I talk about things about how we manage our finances, but I don't necessarily talk all the time about what he does because it's not necessarily applicable. So that's what he does for those of you who care. Um, <laughs> um, but it did drive, you know, the the idea that I married Rich. And I found that really, really funny. Um, and I also found that really insulting. Um, and, you know, I did not appreciate the fact that other women would try to bring me down or shame me for who I married. So, Let's talk about that for a second, you know. So, yes, I did marry a doctor, and I'm proud to have married a doctor. I'm proud to have, you know, not so much about what he does, but I'm proud to have married somebody who has ambition, who has potential. However, while I wish it was that easy, I did not marry rich. You know, a lot of you who listen to the podcast know that when I got married, I was the breadwinner. Um, I was paying rent and paying utilities. My husband was still in school. Um, he married rich, you know, like I was the sugar mommy basically (laughs) in our relationship. As time has progressed, tables have turned. Um, you know, I left my six figure job. I had a good job, you know, to build a business, to start from the beginning. And he started making a lot of money in his career. So, you know, yes, I I am proud to say that I married someone with, ambi- with ambition. Um, if you listen to the last podcast episode where I talked to Bobby Rebel about how and why marrying the right person matters, you know, I apply that to my situation. I believe I married the right person, especially from a financial perspective. And who wouldn't want to be um, with someone that you can build a good financial life with? Excuse me. And I do know that he has massive potential to make a massive amount of money over his career, given what he does and the particular field that he is in. He will make millions of dollars over the lifetime of his career, and I'm here for that. However, I'm not going to diminish the fact that I also have potential, right? I have a brain in my head. I'm very ambitious. I made a lot of money, and I saved a lot of money before I married him. I also made a lot of money and saved a lot of money after I married him. We purchased our house together. I contributed significantly to the down payment that we put on this house. I contributed significantly to our household expenses. And I'm building a business that has its own massive potential. I am investing in a way that can have its own massive potential. I, in myself, can be the massive potential for this family. And my husband recognizes that about me. And I also recognize his own potential about him. Like we look at each other and we think about what we can do for each other um, to build our empire. I don't look at him like my rich husband. So even if I married rich, even if I married a billionaire, right? Um, that does not define me because I was who I am before I got here. And so why do we do this to ourselves as women? Why do we use who they marry to define them? Like, 
I was who I was before I met him, right? If we don't work out, we get divorced today. Um, and I walked away and took away nothing from my relationship. I am good. I will hold my own. I have my own money. So in the grand scheme of that article, or the article clearly stated that I saved all this money before I got married. I started the side hustle that was making me all this money before I got married. Why does who I marry or why does who I married have anything to do with anything, right? So, you know, stuff like that, I find it insulting because number one, you're defining me by the fact that you just read in an article that my husband is a doctor. Also, when we got married, my husband had multi-six figures in student loans that he created a plan for himself to pay off and focus and has worked really hard. So without knowing any of that, without knowing how hard this man has worked, without knowing how much he had in student loan debt, without knowing anything about our financial situation or me, you're going to make assumptions. Oh yeah, it was easy for her to do because she married rich. No, that's not okay. Instead, like I always like to say, you know, I always like to find the good part of things like this. What would Jesus do, Boa? Instead, (laughs) how about you lift other women up that you see succeeding and use their stories as motivation to help you do better? I'm not sharing my story on all these outlets on Clever Girl Finance on this podcast to show off. That's not my intent. My intent here is to help women. And I'm going to talk more about my story so you can really see where it is that I'm coming from. So you know why it is that I do this as we progress in this podcast. But I have nothing to prove to anybody. The second thing is about, you know, me having rich parents and, you know, my life is bliss. So let me tell you something about my parents. Um, My parents are by no means rich. Um, My mom paid for my college education. And I'm going to talk about my mom for a little bit. And it might take me a while, but I'm just going to put it out there. So typically on this podcast and when I get interviewed on other outlets and I talk about my mother, I just talk about the fact that she got to a point where she started to see things um, happening with her friends that she didn't like, divorces, death of spouses, things like that. And she had four kids. She got married really young. She got married at 19. And she just felt like she wanted to take things into her own hands and have um, a strong financial footing for herself if that ever happened to her, which it didn't. But that's kind of how I put the story out there. But the story is actually (laughs) deeper than that. And, you know, my mother did not come from a rich background. Um, in any sense of the word rich, they were okay. Um, I wouldn't even describe her background as middle class or anywhere close to middle class at all. And my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, who I never met um, back in the day, she she died young, um, had a lot of miscarriages and stillbirths and um, children who would die in infancy. So I don't know how many she had, but in total, she had nine children who survived. Um, And my mom was one of them. But in between having all these different kids, she lost a lot of pregnancies. And you guys know how it was back in the day, you know, women, African women, African-American women, women in general had a lot of babies. They just, that's just what happened. They got, they had time, you know, they had babies. It was a different world. (laughs) So, um, and just before my mother was born, um, I think... The, the tale goes 
that she had um, lost either two or three babies, either as stillborns or like within the first year. So when my mother was born, my grandmother was just in this space where she was just not very inclined about this new baby because this new baby was just going to die. That was, you know, and in talking with my mom's older brothers, the reason why these babies were dying was just really the health, the healthcare issue. Um, it was, you know, things that babies get vaccinated for now, those vaccines were not necessarily available or even invented back then. And so those infections and those diseases were killing babies. But then for those of you who are listening that are Nigerian, my mom was labeled an abiku. And that is a whole different conversation that I'm not even going to get into now. But that's just a baby that dies or a child that dies. And you can Google it. It's called abiku, A-B-I-K-U. It's like a very, you know, African mythology kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay, so... My grandmother was not very inclined or, you know, thrilled about this new baby that was going to die anyway. So she didn't give my mom a name. And, you know, she just didn't, she was kind of like in that space. It could have been postnatal depression. I don't know what it was. Um, And she didn't give my mom a name. My mom didn't have a name. She was called child until it was time for her to go to school, to go to kindergarten or grade one. And she went to school and they're like, well, we can't have you in the school if you're going to be called child, go get a name. And so she went home and she talked to her brothers and her brother was like, okay, we're going to write some names down and put them in a bag and you pick a name. So my mom picked a name and it was Emily and my mom became Emily and she went to school as Emily, you know, and then at age 19, she met my dad. So my mom is this woman who or this child who was, you know, nobody really cared whether she lived or died. They didn't bother to give her name. You know, my grandmother was just in the space where she was like, whatever, you're going to die anyway, who cares, right? So that's kind of like, you know, as a child, you can think about what that could do to you. My mom is very resilient, mind you. Um, Growing up, that was just never part of, you know, she, would, she was never like a dejected person. She was never a sad person. My mom was not that kind of person. Like that entire incident to her is like a joke. It's like something very funny. Like when she tells you, she laughs about it. That's just the type of person she is. Um, but when you really think about that for a child um, or for someone growing up, that can that could potentially have had, I don't know, serious ramifications. But anyway, my mom gets to age 19. She meets my father. She gets married. The time she meets my dad, and I'll tell you my dad's story in part two of act two of this conversation that I'm having with myself, but for you guys, (laughs) meets my dad. And at this time, my dad is getting ready to move to America for a position that he got. And so my mom comes here. She has her first baby. Um, They move back to Nigeria. They have a couple more kids. And then my dad has the opportunity, he gets a position to move to Austria to work for OPEC. And um, my mom moves and she has me there. And so my mom is this, um, you know, mother now of four, you know, she's had her kids over a 10 year, 10, 11 year period. And she's done nothing but be this stay at home mom. And during this time, you know, her friends and her, they're all in early marriages. You know, they are young. Um, They're all having babies. And she hasn't quite started to see the things that I share as 
the story, right? She hasn't quite started to see the divorces yet. She hasn't quite started to see the death of spouses yet, but, you know, she's in the early stages. But when my mom had me, um, she was like maybe early 30s. So she was kind of at the age where I was when I had my twins. And I remember at that age, so I'm going to make assumptions about how my mom felt because I don't know. And I don't want to, she's not here with me right now. So I'm just going to make a few assumptions here and there. Um, Just being around the same age as she was with this part of the story going forward. So when my mom had me, she was about the same age as I was when I had my twins. And I remember when I had my twins, I was working a great job. I was earning a lot of money, um, but I was still, I started feeling unfulfilled. And that's kind of where the early seeds for starting Clever Girl Finance were planted. And, you know, I can imagine my mom started feeling the same way. She was in a different country, a foreign country. She wasn't working. She was taking care of four children. And my mom had not gone to college. She got married right out of high school. And, you know, she started feeling like, okay, I want to go to school. I want to do something. So this was the beginning. You know, so before she even started seeing her friends getting divorced or losing spouses, my mom had decided that she wanted to do something. She wanted to start making her own money, you know. And I can imagine her feeling the same way, you know, because she was dependent on my dad for everything. He had to give her everything. And the difference with her then and me when I was having my own kids was that I was making money. My mom was not making any money whatsoever. And she was taking care of four kids by herself. She didn't have a mom who was helping her. She didn't have a nanny or a babysitter. I have those things. So I can imagine the mental pressures were a lot. And there is, you know, one, I think there was one catalyst that caused my mom to be like, you know what, I'm going back to school and dear husband, I don't care what you think. And I don't necessarily have permission to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it. And it was that one of my mom's best friends committed suicide. She was young like my mom. And, you know, my mom was devastated by that, but it also made her realize that, wait a minute, you know, what can me just being in this space lead to? And why am I not doing what I want to do? Why am I relying on this one person, which was my dad, to define me being happy? And this decision my mom made to change things caused a lot of turmoil in my parents' relationship, like a lot of turmoil. My dad was resistant to the idea of this change. My dad is a traditional guy in all sense of the word, right? He's When you think about traditional guy, you think about the guy that says, I'm the man of the house, I'm going to take care of everything. That was my dad. So it was, you know, a battle. My mom actually had to leave for a while. She had to leave him for a few weeks with all of his his children to realize what it was to be a stay-at-home mom, first of all. And then she came back and she got me and we moved to Albany, New York. My brothers were in school and she went to secretarial school there and we were going back and forth. My brothers were coming back and forth between Austria and New York State. Um, and she got that degree. And then my mom moved back to Vienna and she went to college. And I was my mom's college buddy. And I would go to all of her college classes with her as a three-year-old and four-year-old. And I would sit in the back of the class and my mom would tell me, shh. <clears throat> and it's so funny that, you know, fast forward several years, I went to the same university as my mom in Austria. And we used to have one professor. I used to have one professor. And the professor would always tell me, 
There's something so familiar about you, but I can't place it. Have we met before? And I'd be like, no, I don't know you. And lo and behold, after doing some investigation on her part, because she was like, there was just something about me she, didn't, she couldn't place. So she looked up my last name and she realized that she had taught my mom. And the reason why she felt like I looked so familiar is because I look like my mom and she remembered my mom having a little girl. And I was just, it just, I was familiar to her. She knew she had met me before. So just sidebar. So anyway, my mom gets her college degree. We move back to Nigeria. Um, now my mom is getting older in her marriage. And then she starts to go through these experiences with her friends who are now getting divorced, who are now, um, you know, unfortunately losing husbands. And the resistance with my dad, you know, continues because now my mom has a college degree and she wants to make her own money and she's starting her own businesses. And now my mom's a boss. And... <laughs> The reason I bring this up is because my mom had to match that resistance. She had to match that resistance from my dad. Otherwise, there's no way she would have made any of that money she made. There's no way she would have been able to pay for my college. There's no way she'd be doing what she does now in the sense that my mom is fully, fully independent and she does whatever it is that she wants to do and she's not bothered by anybody, but my parents are still married and they're like best friends and they bicker, but you know, they're cute. So... She had to face that resistance and there were many arguments and there were many fights. My mom never backed down. And also there was my dad's family and I love my dad's family. But, you know, when my mom got married to my dad, first of all, um, my, my, my dad, um, my parents are from different cultures and there was already the resistance there. Like, why do you want to marry this woman from a different culture? You know, you know how these women from this culture are and that kind of stuff. And when my mom started to stand her ground about what she wanted to do for herself, um, you know, the, the I told you so started happening. And so I talk about my mom's story because my mom is someone who, when she was first born, nobody really cared who she, if she lived or not. She went to school. Her older brother paid for her to go to school. She got married. She could have stayed a housewife and managed her household little income she got from my dad, but she chose to do better for herself. Um, and maybe losing one of her best friends was the catalyst that drove that, but she just decided that she wanted to do better. She decided that she wanted to do better for her only daughter. I'm the only daughter that she has. And um, she did something, right? Nobody gave her that money, tens of thousands of dollars or ever how much she paid for my four years of college. And I was like, here, Emily, use this for your daughter. She worked really hard for that. And she sacrificed a lot to be able to give that to me. Um, and I'm proud of that, right? I'm proud of the fact that my mother could do that for me. And I'm proud of the fact that she set a foundation and set a stage for me to do that, to be able to do that for my own kids now into the future. So when somebody comes and talks about, yeah, your life is so easy, you have rich parents, you know, like you don't know anything about me. And even if I don't share my story with you, don't make assumptions about people because you have no idea where they come from. So let's talk about my dad because that's, and also interesting story, maybe even more interesting. Nothing against my mom, but my dad's story is pretty interesting too. So my mom and dad come from completely different worlds in the sense that my mom's family was all about, you know, formal education. Everyone in my mom's family is very well educated. My mom is, she was a math and economics major. She has master's degree. She has an MBA, super smart woman. Um, she also has a nursing degree that she got in her 50s because she always dreamt about being a nurse because her older sister was a nurse. Um, and she became a nurse um, at the time where um, 
you know, women could only be midwives or something like that in Nigeria. I don't remember the story, but something like that. Um, so they were all about formal education. My dad, on the other side, his father was not about that life. He did not believe in formal education because to him that was colonial mentality. So Nigeria was colonized by the British. Um, and my grandfather was born in the 1800s. He, um, I never got to meet him. And my father's mother um, was much younger than him. So there is, you know, my dad is almost 80. So you kind of get the age thing here. So from my understanding, the story is complex because um, my grandfather did not necessarily trust um, the British, the colonials, um, the colonialists. Um, and when I say colonialists um, and colonials or you know, I use that word, I don't mean it in a negative connotation. I'm just trying to use it to describe the era. Um, so given my grandfather's parents, his father and his grandparents, there was a lot of complexities that time um, because slave trade was ongoing. Um, and from what my grandmother told me, um, their region was impacted by slave trade. So she would tell me stories about how when she was born, so she was born at the end of the 18th century, so like early 1900s or just like 1900, um, her family members, her mom, her aunties would tell her about people who had gone missing or people who had gone on trips with the colonialists to do projects and they were supposed to be back in two months and they never came back. And in our town where I'm originally from, there are actually breakouts of violence because of this situation where, you know, slave trade was being, I think at the time was being phased out, but it was still ongoing, but it was happening in a way that was like filled with, I don't know, complexities. So my grandfather just did not trust the colonialists. He did not trust the British. He didn't really care for their education. Um, he felt that the traditional education that his children got that allowed him to build his house because he had a big house in his town. He had a big farm. Um, his family was okay. Um, he thought that was good enough. So he didn't care about sending anybody to any kind of school to learn anything about science or talk about history British history specifically. He didn't care about that. He would teach them family history, he would teach them African history, and he was okay with that. So when it came time for my father and his siblings to go to school, they were not going to school. <laughs> Point blank, period. They had to go talk to my grandfather and talk to him and talk to him, and he wasn't interested in that. So he decided that he would send his male children to school. And so my father actually did not start primary one until he was 13. Um, and primary one is grade one here, first grade. Um, he didn't start that until he was 13 years old. My dad has a twin sister who did not get formal education. So my auntie and a lot of, in fact, all of my aunties on my dad's side, his sisters don't have formal education. They're very smart. They're very intelligent. They have traditional education, um, you know, in the sense that that is defined. But when it comes to the colonial education, which is what, you know, we all have, right now, right? And I don't mean that in a bad sense. They don't have that. So my mom, my my aunties are not opening textbooks and reading to you about, you know, let's talk about theories. 
no. <laughs> and, you know, I'm okay with that. They're, they're, they're incredibly smart. I've had conversations with them and they tell me things that I, I had no idea about and I'm college educated. Yeah, bola, get your life. So anyway, my dad didn't go to primary one, first grade until he was 13 years old. School was miles away. A lot of Nigerian people, their fathers will tell them similar stories. They had to walk miles to school. A lot of Americans, African-Americans probably have a similar story from their grandparents. Yeah, it was not as convenient to get educated. Um, Fast forward several years. And with breaks throughout his education, my dad got a scholarship to pursue an advanced degree in Russia. And at the time, Nigeria was in civil war. There was the Biafran war going on. And my dad had to cross borders in between places from the east to the west or something like that. I'm not particularly clear on the story. I have to ask him again. And during this process, him and his friend who had the scholarship who were trying to cross the borders were stopped and his friend was shot and killed. Fortunately for my father, he made it over to Russia. So my dad went over to Russia, got his advanced degree. So at this time, he has an undergrad, he has his master's, he has two PhDs. Uh, My dad studied math. He's a math genius. So my dad was a guy that you never brought your math homework to because when you asked him what one plus one was, he would tell you why one was one, why plus was plus, and why, you know, one plus one was equal to two and what two meant. And yeah, and my mom, who also studied math, was just not much help either like the two of them would geek out on math and be like ha 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 and I would look at them like they were out of their minds and they were so anyway he goes to Russia he studies in Russia he has his experiences in Russia great experiences not so great experiences and it is what it is given the time and you know comes back gets a job as a college professor, um, goes, moves to New York with my mom, comes back to Nigeria, and by back I mean Nigeria, and then they move to Austria, and then I'm born, um, you know, and then they go back to Nigeria, and then they have this life. So this is what my parents have had to go through in order to create the life that me and my brothers have, you know. Um, my dad got a job in Austria at OPEC. He was an econometrician, and there are at the time, and that might still be the same now. I don't know. There were only nine of them uh, in the world. There, there were only nine of them in the world at any given time. And what these econometricians did—they were mathematicians and economists—is they set the price of um, crude oil around the world based on global economic trends. And they represented the econometricians represented um, each of the largest oil producing countries around the world. My dad did that for eight years. And I make it sound very high level, but it was a very complex job. Um, and that afforded us, that was, that job was a life changer for my dad. That job allowed him to send my brothers to school in England um, to pay for their tuition in class in cash for their own college education until he had his own financial setbacks after we moved to Nigeria. And, you know, I talk about that in other parts of the podcast. You guys can listen to my earlier podcast or even read the blog post on me saving 100K um, or listen to that episode. So that's a summary of my background, you know, where I come from. And my parents sent me to Austria to go to college 
after we moved back to Nigeria because they wanted me to have a better education. At the time, universities in Nigeria were not doing that great. They were on multi-year strikes. People were taking a decade to finish university. And it was a sacrifice for my parents, my mom, to pay that education. Going back to college in Austria was not a walk in the park for me. I was the only black girl in my college for an entire year. And then another girl came from Uganda. Her name was Roslyn. She became one of my best friends. Uh, And then it was two of us in the entire college. We were the only black girls. And we had to deal with stupid questions like, how did you get here? Oh, can I touch your hair? Was that your first time in a plane? Is this the first time you've ever seen snow? And ridiculous questions like that. And I love Austria. I was born there. I spent a lot of my life there as a child. And went back to go to college there. Um, I also have incredible experiences from there. That will always be my second home. My second mother lives there. My aunt lives there. Um, But I also had some crazy experiences there. I experienced severe racism living in Austria. And that is, you know, stories for days, (laughs) different episode, you know. And then I moved here and I'm proud to be an American immigrant. I'm also proud to be Nigerian and come from Africa. And knowing where my parents come from, knowing what my mom had to go through to be able to afford me that college education, which was more expensive than the money that she paid for. She had to make a lot of sacrifice. She had to put her marriage on the line to stand her ground and say, you know what? I want to be my own person financially. I want to set the stage for my children. That costs more than whatever she paid for my college education. Knowing that, knowing that my father, you know, didn't have the opportunity like I have had to even start first grade until he was 13. Knowing that my father had to risk his life to go to college, you know, knowing that they had to move up and down across continents to have opportunities to give their children a good life. Um, Who am I not to want to do well? Who am I I not to want to make my parents proud? Of course I want to do that. Of course I'm going to work as hard as possible. And I believe that no matter what your background is, because we all have different stories, this is just my own story. Whoever you are that's listening to this, you have your own personal story. And I believe that no matter what your background is, you are the one that decides what you do to move forward from here on out. And let me tell you something, knowing that my mom had done all that and knowing that my parents had gone through all that in their lives, when I graduated from college, right, my motivation wasn't just that, oh, I want to see how much money I can save. I want to save $100,000. It was, Bola, you know where you come from. You better get your life. That's what it was. And let's just go back to my husband for a second, because really and truthfully and in all honesty, after I've busted my butt, hustling to save money, eating nasty ramen noodles, drinking poisonous Coke, eating nasty free donuts at work, going up and down shooting weddings, or as my mother would say, you're going up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down to people's weddings to try to make money after listening to random aunties tell me, who's going to marry you if you have more money than your husband? After all of that, right? Should I have married poor? I mean, should I have married somebody with a broke mindset, with no ambitions, with no goals, after 
all of that, after I put myself through all of that, after I set all this intention about the things I want to accomplish in my life, what would be the point of me finding a partner to now take me back five million steps after I've come that far? I tell you something, at this point, I would be divorced. That's just what it is. So yeah, I wanted to share these insights, share some of my life with you guys, just get to know me a little bit more. <laughs> and I hope you guys enjoyed this. I know this wasn't really like money tips and you know that kind of episode, but this is just me being more open. And I thought some of you who were listening would appreciate that from me. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed getting to know me a bit more. And I do hope that I decide to post this. <laughs> um, but thank you guys for listening and I'll catch you on the next episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, share it with your friends, tell everybody you know. And I appreciate you guys. I appreciate all your support so far with Clever Girl Finance. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate all the messages you send me. Um, and I love hearing your stories about what you're doing to improve your finances, what you're doing to change your lives, what you're doing to get to that point where you are happy um, and you have financial peace of mind, you know, because that's the whole point to work hard and sleep well and enjoy your life, really. And if you're a hater and you've actually made it this far in this episode, I hope in some way, somehow, this has inspired you to stop worrying about how rich I did or did not marry. Stop shaming women about who they married. Instead, lift women up for what they have accomplished and focus on what you can accomplish so you can inspire other people in your space. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.